I'd like to welcome you to the place. This is the place for intellectual, spiritual, and scriptural honesty. It's not the place of intellectual and spiritual honesty yet. Uh, we are working towards that. It's an idea, it's a concept, and we hope to move into that area of thinking uh, as time uh, allows. Uh, tonight we do have a special guest tonight. His name is Joshua Tongle, and he will be in the conversation in, in just a few minutes. But I want to uh, discuss just a couple of things uh, before we get the show started, and that's about how and why the New Covenant Group is moving forward rapidly. Um, first of all, I, I want to make a statement, and honey, I want to get your input on this and also Michael Fulford's uh, input on this. I, I wrote something this week, and I thought that it was extremely meaningful um, because this afternoon you know, we had the pleasure of listening to Joey Livingston and also Greg Bray really have this wonderful conversation. In a sense, it was a debate, but in another sense, it was just one of these honest conversations. And everyone was respected, and I think that most people were just wowed. And then we got to watch Inspiring Honesty with Greg Bray and Bob Graves, and that was one of those wow shows. Um, Bob came unglued in the most awesome way as he normally does and then uh greg does what he does best he's just honest he's brilliant um he has all the qualities of of going as far as he wants to go and then we had this show amazing show the unconventional pastor with bob graves he he keeps amazing us with his intellectual honesty and his intellectual capacity. Uh, he's nuancing so many things just to keep it all honest. And I'd like to just talk about this just for a few minutes. And, and I wanted to know just a bit of what you would say about this here at the place. And, you know, everyone is talking about, and, and I'm thankful, uh, the name of what I'm going to call uh, our Wednesday night show, The Cult of Honesty. <laughs> and uh, lots of people are shocked by the name, The Cult of Honesty. We're taking a bad name and making something good out of it. Well, um, <laughs> we have been called names, and I think anyone that puts themselves out there uh, with, I'm not going to say new ideas, because these ideas have been around since the beginning of time in, in a way, but we are, are putting them forth in a strong way right now and going forward and when you do that you do put yourself at risk for name calling and um ad hominems and we have been called a cult so it's sort of tongue-in-cheek when we say cult of honesty you know if we're going to be a cult then let's be an honest one um and when you touched on the shows that preceded ours tonight that's really what i could think about it was a lot of honesty and a lot of times honesty doesn't have to be accurate information and that's sounds kind of confusing but it's your honest feeling it's your honest subjective experience and nobody can take that away from you as far as honesty goes with greg and joey um 
both of them, you know, conceded points. They they didn't have to one up each other. That's what we're about. We're about respect and and honor uh, toward each other, whoever we speak to. And we don't ever really call it debates because, personally, I think that's a term where, you know, you take the gloves off and you want to bloody the other person's nose. But we have conversations. And Joey and Greg had a marvelous one. Um, each conceded points. They were not afraid to say, I don't know, just like we are. And, of course, Bob the same way. It's always impressive whenever, uh, to me, Bob says, well, you know, I just don't know. Instead of coming up with this convoluted, you know, right. uh, hierarchy tree thing going on. And so I'm impressed with people's honesty. I'm impressed with people being respectful. And so far, <clears throat> we've always allowed people to say what they want on our Facebook pages. Uh, just recently, we've had to, and I'm, I'm bringing up, you know, some kind of bad information. We, we did block two people, but sometimes you have to do that for the sake of other people. And it, it wasn't our philosophy because we believe in get it out there. If you want to say something, we want to hear it. And like Bob Graves says, he says, 15 minutes, take somebody's idea and just ponder it. Let it go around your head for 15 minutes and see what you think about it. And after that, if you don't like it or you, you can't get on board with it, just throw it out. And that really opened my eyes because I was the kind of person like, okay, that's garbage, good, garbage, good. I just made quick assertions on things. But you know, now I'm I'm actually growing in this area. So the cult of honesty, I think it fits us to a T. I, I think so. Also, I was really shocked this morning. You know, we had one of the persons who comes to the studio all the time. Uh, this person came, walked in the studio and said, Dr. Jones, I've got something to tell you. And I said, what? Uh, all of my children were offered $2.00 to go to this Baptist church if they would attend this morning. And I got up this morning. This is what she was saying. I got up this morning and said, where do you want to go? And they said, we want to go to the studio. We like it down there because they're taught science and all kinds of other ideas and art and uh, what have you on Sunday morning. And they chose that over going to church. And what makes the thing really strange and at the same time meaningful is that this morning while I was teaching there was a lady that had actually offered the money to get these children to go to church she came down to our studio sure did. and actually tried to get the kids out of here and put them in her van and bust them down to the Baptist church to get them saved I just, I wish someone would have stopped me from teaching and had me deal with that. I would have loved to. Well, I, I, you know, it runs through my mind. Do I tell him right now or do I let him go on? And I know what you would have done. It would have been time out. I'll be back in about 15 minutes. And so um, I did keep that from you uh, early on. Yeah. But, you, you know, need to be more transparent. I do. I need to be more honest. Yeah. <laughs> the cult of honesty. Okay, uh, let me make a quick point, and then I want Michael to make his quick point. And then Joshua is going to be here with some powerful statements. I wrote this uh, this last week, Michael, and I think that it 
may make a bit of sense to you. I said, if I can put atheist first, and, and please understand, I'm a theist. Uh, a multi-axial theist, not, you know, just a theist. If I can put atheist first, then I'm not willing to be last. Excuse me, let me read this again. If I can, If I can't put atheist first, then I'm not willing to be last. And if I can't do unto others as I would do unto myself, then I'm not like Christ. And I'm speaking about myself. And so as a theist, you know, it. this is the thing that makes sense to me. If I can't put others before me, I'm really not making sense of what Christ said. In other words, I should be able to listen to why person is an atheist and what they perceive to be true and, and and please understand this here at the new covenant group here at the place we don't want to convert anyone we have no desire to do that the thing that we want to do is to simply to have meaningful conversations and put others first instead of trying to get people to be like us and so i wanted to you simply to share what I asked you to share, it was just a powerful thought. Would you share that now? Well, I'll try. Um, okay. One issue I've always had with religion is any one religion or any one ideology, which is what religion is, they always say they have the answer. It's always the answer. It's not we have a answer that we'd like to share it with you. It's we have this answer, and if you don't like it, we have a sword. Well, I've mentioned I am an atheist, I'm a humanist. I believe in people, ultimately. And the whole point when it comes to atheism, there's no ideology. A atheism by itself is not an ideology. But what we can go from there is say, no one has the answer. There is not one the answer. There is many answers. Every person has their own answer. For some people, that's religion, and that's great. Whatever will build a person up, that's all I care about. And that's what I think we should focus on, is making, giving a person the opportunity to be the best person they can be, whether that's religious or not. That's good. That's yeah, good. That's very admirable. Yeah. He always has some powerful points. Thank you for sharing your thought. Uh, without any, uh, any more hesitation, I want to bring Joshua Tongle in on the conversation. How are you doing, Joshua? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Uh, doing well. Uh, I will say that you have been extremely impressive. I've watched various videos of you, have had oh, many thanks. conversations with you, and you you have this ability to be so humble. What's what's the deal with that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm just I'm just trying to be as honest as I can, and. Um, uh, just like what the guy was saying earlier, it's like, you know, who who's figured it all out, right? And so that, I think that's one of the things that kind of keeps me on check, just to know that I'm constantly learning just like everybody else. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your journey? You haven't always thought like you do now that is in no. your theology. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's explore that just for a few minutes sure. because I want to get into some questions that, Okay. I think that people are asking, and uh, if you would share just a little bit about your journey, I think that would be meaningful to everyone. 
Okay, like a very short version of it? Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, well, basically, um, I grew up here in Los Angeles at like a very charismatic church uh, for most of my life. And then um, at one point, I, I reached a point in my life where um, I started not to be too interested in the whole charismatic scene with all the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts thing. And I got into more of like um, a very anti-charismatic, intellectual type of Christianity when I was 17 years old. So when I was 17, for about eight years, I was just heavily involved in um, what's called apologetics, which is like a defense of the faith. And um, I actually left my charismatic church and started serving at a Southern Baptist church. And then during that time, when I went to the Southern Baptist Church, when I was kind of more conservative, I started delving back into the whole um, idea of the, the spiritual gifts and the, and the miracles and supernatural stuff. So that was like a really weird shift for me to go back to my roots, but in a different way. Um, and then around 2008, I started to mess around, you know, start to have this understanding of God's love and his the whole distinction between law and grace. And um, I, I grew up in a very, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, like I, I was pretty legalistic, you know. Um, I didn't understand like the whole concept of God's unconditional love. Like I, I was always told that he loved me. Um, but, you know, it's like as you're a kid, you're just, you're always trying to earn approval, you know. So I did that whole thing with the church and ministry. And so in 2008, it just really hit me where I started to finally understand understand it much better, this whole idea of God's unconditional love for me, that He loves me no matter what. And believe it or not, um, that really impacted me. <laughs> and then, uh, and yeah, that's, that's just like the condensed version. I took out a lot, but that's the condensed version. So um, you're suggesting <laughs> that God loves us unconditionally and possibly accepts us unconditionally? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> or I'm not even suggesting it. I'm, I'm telling people that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> good answer. Absolutely. We believe the same thing, Joshua. And um, <laughs> it, it, it is a game changer. Whenever you come to grips with that realization, it seems yeah. like you can love God so much more. And yeah. I, I can't really yeah. be you know, eloquent and put it in, in these marvelous words, but... I know I did when I found out that it didn't matter and I, really not about me, but other people in the world that God loved them right. unconditionally because it seems like as a religious person, you always think you're good. You know, I'm okay. <laughs> but other right. people, when I, when I said, you know what, if he loves me that way, surely he loves everyone that way. And then you have this, this better outlook about God and things change. Right. I mean, things fall off right. and people would often say, well, if you believe God loves you, no matter what you do, then you can just do anything you want, but it's just the opposite. Yeah. It's just yeah. the opposite. And so we're right. thankful that that's definitely one of your strong suits. Uh, <laughs> one of the videos that really impressed me was the video that you did on penal substitution. I think that it's challenging lots and lots of people. And so can we talk a little bit about that? Sure, sure. I'd be happy to. Okay. Anything I, specific. <laughs> I have a question, and it goes like sure. this. Is it ever moral for any father to have his child beaten beyond recognition and tortured to death so that he can help and forgive the rest of his 
children. Yeah. Um, to a common sense person, someone that's thinking clearly, of course, the obvious answer is that it's never moral. Um, but for Christians, it is okay <laughs> when it comes to their understanding of the gospel. And so I think that's why there's that whole huge disconnect of how we perceive the world a certain way and we understand love to be a certain way of how we treat people with respect, how we, how we would like to love people unconditionally, or how we could even forgive people, in a sense, unconditionally. But when it comes to our gospel, everything changes all of a sudden. You know, so that's where I'm noticing among a lot of people is that whole disconnect between what they already deep down what they know and what they've been taught. So my answer is it's never moral. <laughs> okay. What is your perception that is of the death of Christ? Because so many people are spinning these days. Jesus came 2,000 years ago, died yeah. for our sins, was beaten beyond recognition, tortured to death, and all of that in yeah. order to satisfy the Father. In your opinion, yeah. what what took place there? Yeah, you know, I'm still, uh, personally, I'm still developing, like, all those ideas of, like, what happened at the cross. And, um, of course, like, we could play around with, like, a lot of the theories. So what I don't believe is a whole penal substitution view um, that Jesus came to die in our place where he was punished by his own father in order to appease the father's wrath. Um, so I don't hold to that one for sure. Now there are these other, you know, views that were held within the early church when it comes to what happened at the cross that I'm not even 100% with all of the different views when it comes to ideas like the Christus Victor view or the ransom theory or the moral example. I mean, the, the list goes on, right? If I could just sum it up, though, without trying to focus too much on the mechanics of it, which I think a lot of people focus too much on the mechanics of it, um, he died because he loves us in the sense that he was willing to share this message of God's love for the whole world, and he was killed for it. So in the ultimate sense, if I were just to sum it up, is that he, he died to the point where people killed him for what he believed and for what he revealed. Now, the mechanics of it, of how that works, of how he died for my sins, I mean, that, that takes a while to kind of flesh out, you know. So sure. I don't know if you want to talk about that. We can, but... <laughs> right. Um, it, it seems like you're questioning the Bible. And yeah. I, I find that lots of people are uncomfortable with the idea of questioning the Bible because yeah. most theists say, this is my final authority for life right. and godliness. And so yeah. why did you start questioning the Bible and what makes you feel good about yeah. questioning a sacred text, a sacred cow? <laughs> right. Um, well, it makes me uncomfortable that people are not questioning right? I mean, if, if people were just to be intellectually honest with themselves, and if they really read the Bible, at least cover to cover, especially the Old Testament, and you could see a lot of the, you know, the horrendous evils and the violence, and just there's so many things that we know that are just not morally right, you know? And so when people are, you know, they automatically assume that it's, that it's a sacred text or it's God's word or this is the authority that I base my life upon. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if that's necessarily true. I mean, the, the, book, the Bible is written over a span of time, you know, and it was written to particular communities and cultures that some, some of the, 
uh, writings are not even relevant for us today. And um, so I'm trying to, when I approach the Bible, I'm trying to approach it in such of a way where I'm trying to be as objective as possible, even though all of us have our presuppositions. But what I guess what I've noticed among a lot of Christians is that they automatically assume that it's God's Word, that, that all of it is 100% true. And if that's the case, that all of it is 100% true, then we would be able to justify a lot of things like holy wars, <laughs> you know, genocide, infanticide, sexism, racism, slavery. Um, you know, there's, just, there's a whole list of things that I can go through that how can you not question these things and wonder if God is really a good God or not? Like, how do you reconcile this whole idea of God's love with the things that you actually read in our own text that we claim to be God's word? And so I'm just trying to find, you know, finally trying to be honest with myself where, just to let you all know, I defended inerrancy for most of my adult life, actually my whole life, but I started to defend it when I would speak at different venues, just like wholeheartedly, because that's what I was taught from the Christian apologists. And, um, and I applaud them because they're trying to defend, you know, their version of truth, but um, it doesn't square, it doesn't match up with, with, with the truth that's revealed in Christ. Right or just the truth that we know deep down in our hearts of what it is, of what it means to love, you know. So that's that's one of the reasons why I started to question it because just like what I'm noticing now with what you guys are sharing, it's all about being honest. Like I'm reading stuff in the Bible that's that's not the nicest thing. Sometimes it's it's actually sometimes very ugly and violent. And how how can you not question that book, you know? So yeah, that's. That's my answer to that. <laughs> I don't know if you want to break it down more, but why is it so difficult for some people to approach that questioning? You know, in other words, it's yeah. so simple for you, but yeah, I, when I say things like, "Have you ever considered the doctrines of infanticide, genocide, and slavery? <laughs> Have you looked at this? Have you considered Elisha?" You know, when God sends the two she-bears to maul these 42 children to death, why isn't that yeah. morally wrong? Mm -hmm. And it seems like I just get called all kinds of names when I raise the question. And so yeah. how are you dealing <clears throat> with this? Because you're dealing with lots and lots and lots of religious people. I mean, I think that here recently yeah. you actually yeah. ministered in a Baptist church. Is that correct? Um, yeah. I mean, they're, they're pretty conservative in some ways, yeah. <laughs> How are they receiving what you're saying is what I'm asking here. Um, it depends. Of, of course, it, it just depends who I'm talking to. I mean, there's a lot of people who they could kind of come off kind of aggressive to me in the beginning, but when we get really down to it and, you know, we just start to really be honest, they start to acknowledge some of their doubts and some of the questions that they have. Um, but of course, yeah, in some, in some places, like people are very upset with what I, with, you know, the things that I'm challenging and the things that I'm sharing, but there's a whole group of other people that are just, they're very open because they're very tired, you know, of, of religion, you know, because for me personally, I don't really, I don't go around just like the different churches and just bash them and tell them how they're all wrong. I don't, to me, I don't do that, you know. I try to be as sensitive as possible and to share my heart and to challenge them in some ways, 
But with a lot of people that I deal with, I, I, I'm not even the type that debates a lot like I used to. I just let them do what they want to do. And eventually, I believe, if you get caught up in this whole mindset of legalism and, and false religion, you get really tired. And, and so that's when a lot of people have started to like contact me because they're tired. <laughs> and they've realized it like, hey, maybe, <laughs> you know, there's something to what Josh was saying about, you know, God loves me no matter what. And God's not interested totally in just my performance, you know, but he's actually interested in my heart. <clears throat> One of the things why I think a lot of people are afraid to question the Bible is just because of what they've been taught. You know, they were told that it's a sacred text. They were told that it's God's word. They were told that it's authoritative, that all of it is true. Uh, they were told that it's the guide to life for everything, basically, that it answers every question, basically. And so what people are afraid to do is that they're afraid to listen to their heart. And I think, and I've noticed this even with people, uh, whether it was in college or in high school, just some of my friends that were not Christian, it actually looked like that they were actually listening to their hearts more when they would do a good deed. For example, they would like feed the poor on the street yeah. or give, give me a gift just because they wanted to make me happy. But when I'm in a lot of Christian circles, a lot of it's just like they're doing it strictly because they want to obey God. It's out of obedience or they're afraid that if they don't give, then God's not going to bless them either. And so, you know, a lot of the times they're just so driven by the sacred text, so to speak, because that's just the, that the way, you know, that's the way that they were taught. They were taught that you're driven by, you live by the word, you live by the Bible. And what I'm trying to tell people is that you don't really live by the Bible, you live by the spirit who is already in, within you. And that the Bible is there, but it's not there to, you know, guide you for like everything in life. I mean, that's just not even realistic, right? You know, so for me, okay, I wasn't, I'm not going to say something else, why I would say, um, I just want people, I just want to encourage people, you know, listen to your heart. The spirit is already within you, you know, and you can read the Bible from time to time, but you still have to read it through a you know, with a, with a healthy grid, with a healthy perspective, because if you have all these presuppositions that everything is there is true, like what you were saying, like you could justify anything evil, you know? And so it's all, it just comes down to being honest with yourself. Now, Joshua, um, what do you consider the difference between religion and following Christ? Yeah. Um, well, of course, there's like two versions of religion. You know, it's not totally bad, depending if you look at it like it's about taking care of orphans and the widows. You know, you can look at it in a good way. Um, but I guess the way for the most part of how I use it is that religion is usually something where it is based upon a bunch of rules. And in, in a sense where it's even like our Christianity could be called a religion in a sense, too, because a lot of people are not living in a very living relationship with God, but it's more of like they're just living their lives following a bunch of rules and principles that they've read from the Bible. And so religion, in a sense, could be more of like people just driven by a bunch of rules or legalism or or they do things trying to become something or you do something to try to become God's child or you try to do something in order to become blessed. And when it comes to following Christ, I don't even personally want it to be all about following a bunch of Jesus' teaching. 
but it's about knowing him. You know, because somebody could even take Jesus, some of Jesus' teaching and make it a bunch of hard, fast rules that you just have to follow <laughs> legalistically. Right, so that's a for good me, point. Yeah, so I, 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 you know, when I talk about following Christ, for me it's just more about just knowing God and having a relationship with Him where whether it's reading your Bible or not reading your Bible or, you know, it's, it's just a relationship for me. Um, yeah, so there's not these rules. <laughs> <laughs> you, you touched on something about uh, Christians more than likely, or nine times out of ten, that's my little favorite cliche, they'll, <laughs> they'll do something um, because they feel like they're checking off, you know, something or the Bible tells yep. them to do it. But atheists or other people will do things, uh, obviously not for that, but they just do it for the good of other people. And I want, I want yeah. Michael Fulford to make a comment about that because last yeah. week on the show you mentioned about being uh, self-identifying as a humanist. And what's the reason that you are, are driven in, in that direction? As identifying as a humanist? Right. Well, the reason why I identify as a humanist is I hear a lot of people will say, okay, you're an atheist. What does that tell me about what you believe? It doesn't tell you anything because atheism is just saying, well, no, I don't believe in God. My philosophy, the way I guide my life is humanism. And, and I just, and like he's saying, it is basic. Now, I don't see it as evidence of a spirit or of God. For me, it's just something intrinsic to humanity, uh, to any social being. And we're, we all benefit when we help each other. I benefit, it makes me feel better. That's really all I need is it makes me feel better. I like seeing people happy. My personal thing is, is uh, trying to teach other people. And to say that I'm a humanist really tells you all you need to know. That uh, I mean, it's in the name. <laughs> right. I, I thought that was powerful last week, and I wanted Joshua to hear that because you made that, that yeah. point, and here we have, uh, I don't want to call you one in the, in the, on the panel, but... It, it made a big impact on me when Michael said, you know, I do this to help people. Right. And, and, and I had to question myself in the past, you know, why did I do things to help people? Did I do it because I felt compelled that, you know, I had to do it or did my heart really, you know, overflow wanting me to do it? For helping, yeah, I think that's what Joshua keeps talking about. Right. This legalism, you know, you're doing something yeah. to satisfy God instead of doing something because you know it's within your nature. It's part of your character. Sure, you know, there's yeah. a big difference between saying, yeah. "Oh, I'm serving God to keep the law," and saying, "Hey, listen, this is all about a relationship. This is about character." And 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 some yeah. people are saying, "Well, I don't have to attach the term." theos to it or god to it i i can simply say you know i love human beings and it can be meaningful to me maybe and so you know these are uh, wonderful thoughts uh joshua uh yeah you're you're stating some awesome things um how much rejection do you get uh, because of your stance. <laughs> now, I know you um, love to laugh here. Well, just go to Google yeah, and you yeah. can find out. <laughs> <laughs> I laugh to keep myself happy. <laughs> um, I, I get a good amount of it, um, but at the same time, um, I get a lot of support too. So I can't say it's totally balanced, um, but yeah, yeah, I, I do receive a lot of negative 
emails and messages and essays <laughs> or whatever being written for me. And um, but it's okay. Yeah. At the same time, like I said, I get a lot of positive responses from people. So it's nice. It's encouraging. There you go. Well, you're <laughs> looking at, at the response. glass half full then, <laughs> because <laughs> when we when I found out that you were going to be in our show, we were so excited. Um, obviously, you start googling people and. You know, I said, oh, my goodness, you know, they've already started on them um, because we get that quite a bit. Um, we've gotten death threats and, you know, name calling. And I, I just I, I couldn't begin to tell you. But I did read something on a negative side about you. Someone took <laughs> someone took issue and they said uh, and I'll just read it um, as I have it written here. Some say that your declaration of God not wanting to change us. But to love us first is part of a false gospel. Explain uh -huh. what you mean by that. Mm -hmm. Okay. You want me to explain that? Yes, please. Okay. Yeah, um, I think what I mean by that, um, and I actually share where they heard that, but like when it comes to just relationships, human relationships, uh, a lot of times, I mean, imagine if you're, you're, you're pursuing someone that you're interested in. I'm just wondering, would it really be very loving if I, if there was a girl that I'm interested in and my main goal is, try to, is to try to change her? You know, like once I get with her, I'm going to get rid of all these bad habits of her and then I'm going to make her stop doing these things and make her be, become this, become that. And I'm, and I'm starting to wonder if that's the way a lot of people perceive God that way, that God is totally, is solely interest in, interested in changing you making you a, a more moral person or a better person. And I'm not sure about that. Um, wow. The way I would see it is that I think God doesn't just look at us and say, I'm, I want a relationship so this person can change. I think God's heart might be is that he's just so in love with us that when for me as a recipient of that love, we just start to naturally change instead of trying to change like you know you know we're married like i know that there could be times where we could just try to change our spouse you know like we have certain habits but i just realized that what it really comes down to is just just loving people without saying i just want them to stop that habit sure there are some things that we might not like about other people but you know i think real love just focuses on just loving and being selfless and from that there are these positive responses that people have of wanting to love God. You know, like, like I know people kind of laugh when I make this statement and a lot of churches, I tell people don't even try loving God. You know, it's like, cause for a lot of people that, that could be very tiring. That could mean reading your Bible or sharing your faith as much as you can outside, you know, or I mean, it, it could get very tiring. So I just tell people if, if you just knew how much God really loves you right now, even before you do anything, even before you try to serve him, but to know how much he has served you in his son. There's something very transformative that happens when you start to have that revelation, so to speak, well, like, well, someone really loves me. Now you can choose to not respond, but at the same time, you could also respond. And when you do respond, it's more genuine instead of very legalistic, very fear-based saying, I'm just going to, change because I want to become a better Christian, you know, but imagine if you just knew this love of God that he has for you. Oh man, your life just transforms. 
you know, so, so one of the things that I've seen in my own life when I used to pastor um, in the Philippines is that I wouldn't even tell people, you know, there are some certain lifestyles that some of my friends had that I, I'm going to be honest, I didn't think it was the healthiest, but I wasn't so hard on them saying, you know, you need to stop doing this, you need to stop doing that. You know, people can do that if they want, but at that time, I was just sharing, you know, this message of God's unconditional love, and then people told me, said, Josh, I just changed because of that message. Like, you didn't even have to tell me to stop doing anything that's bad, <laughs> you know? And so I, I'm starting to really see the power of the gospel, where it's not like you're, you're not trying to get people to respond. And I think that's what people do. It's like, here's God's love for you. Now you have to respond and you have to believe. If we're really treating this as a as a relationship, I don't know if that's the way it's supposed to look like. I don't I don't think Michael goes to you and says, you know, Rhonda, I love you very much. And now that you know that I love you very much, what are you going to do now? You have to believe in me now. <laughs> you know, I believe, you know, that that a real relationship would be that your husband just pursues you so much, which is this love. And with that, there's just this natural response of wanting to reciprocate that love, so to speak. And so change occurs, but not in, a, not in a very legalistic fashion. So you don't really have to go around hollering, repent, repent, turn or burn. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't mean, think so either. You can't do that, and there's going to be some people very turned off from that. Right. Um, but for us, we just keep it very simple. You know, it's just it's God loves you. But, and, Yeah. Let me interrupt for a moment. We have lots of uh, text messages coming in, lots of people <laughs> making comments about you. One person okay. says, oh, my phone can't keep up with it. My God, a bunch just came in. Hold on for a minute. It's okay. Just just read the nice one. <laughs> <laughs> just the nice one. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> okay. Uh, this one person says, I applaud Joshua for his honesty. This person says the Old Testament, for the most part, it's evil and immoral, and so is its God. Another person says Josh is so honest, and he knows a lot. Another person states uh, people are scared to question the Bible. They so agree with what you're yeah. saying. Uh, another person is saying our Bibles in many parts have been tampered with, altered and changed, extrapolated, yeah. etc., Another person yeah. says, dang, I wish I would have come to the studio. Another person <laughs> is saying, uh, yeah. I can't give my life to God. He already had it. Yeah. Um, just comments yeah. like that. People are very interested in yeah. what you're saying and also yeah. about what Michael Fulford is actually saying too. And this is the yeah. interesting thing about the conversation. It's not just about what theists are perceiving to be true. You know, one of the things that, has really been, if I can use this term, it's been a blessing for my wife and I is to have so many atheists in our life. Yeah, that's uh, cool. <laughs> they are changing us. I, I told my yeah. mother um, this a few days ago. I said, you know, there was an atheist years ago, Madeline Merle O'Hara, uh, and I remember being a theist back then, and I despised her, not because <laughs> I knew anything about her, it's because right. I was taught to despise her. When yeah. I studied why she didn't want the Bible in certain places like schools, etc., when I studied some of the things that she had to say, I said, wow, 
this person is being honest about yeah. what isn't moral. And I yeah. said, this atheist is changing my life. <laughs> and I have to be honest, I think atheists have done me more good than pastors have. And sure. that's just a personal yeah. confession because <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. they have been more willing to embrace <laughs> the good and the bad and the ugly. And I, I yeah. somewhat perceive that you would agree in a sense. Yeah, I do. Um, as you know, like my background was in uh, studying apologetics and philosophy. And so my, my school that I graduated from was very much focused in that. So a lot of our material was, you know, you read books from, from atheists and agnostics, et cetera, and skeptics. And um, at that time, of course, just like you, it's like we're, we're the ones arguing against them, showing on how they're all wrong and they don't understand. But just like you, <laughs> these days for me, just to have a confession as well, um, like I, I, I feel like I'm more sympathetic to them these days because I could sense, in a sense, I could identify with a lot of their concerns that they have about religion itself. You know, like like when I hear stuff from Christopher Hitchens or Richard Dawkins, I think logically they take it in a different direction than I do with their conclusions, but I think their concerns are well-founded, you know, and I actually applaud them for that, you know. So when I hear myself talk to many Christians these days and I share to them my heart and my concerns, I laugh because I hear myself like how I, you know, I used to criticize a lot of those atheists back in the day. I'm like, I sound like an atheist now, <laughs> you know, because I'm, <laughs> I'm messing around with people's Bibles, you know. But what I do appreciate uh, about Michael, about just caring for people and other atheists that I've met, and Christians too. So, you know, I'm not trying to paint a broad brush and saying there are no good Christians that are living a life that's sure. full of vitality or whatever. But, you know, when I was living in the Philippines um, as a missionary, I saw a lot of street kids there. And that's always a big issue in the Philippines. Um, like when you go to certain Bible studies or churches, they talk about that. Should you always give, you know, to these street kids? Where does the money go to? And with, without, you know, figuring out whether it's always right or wrong because you don't know where the money goes to, I would just challenge a lot of those Christians there in the Philippines who do give and say, why did you give it? Why did you give money? Do you give because you feel bad? Because there are people that are watching you in your car? You know, do you give because you're afraid that, God's not going to bless you, or do you give because you just have a heart for that kid, you know? And, and, and so I tell people, it's so easy to go up to someone on the street, like a homeless person, and say, God loves you. But I give more credit to people who could go up to a person on the street and say, I love you. Because now it's not that easy to just walk away. Mm. <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? Wow. But it's see, when we do our we do our evangelism and you know, it's like how many people did you lead to the Lord today? How many souls did you save? It's like a trophy. You know, I led five people to Christ today. But really though, did you really love them? Or were you more concerned about how many souls you just led to Christ so you could tell people afterwards? So, you know, I'm not here to judge anybody's heart, but I'm here for us to check our own heart. Do you love them? And if you love them, it, it, it would show in your life, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. And so that's that's what I meant where I like I do applaud people, whether atheist or not atheist, doesn't even matter who you are, that they could just say, you know what, I, I, I did this good deed because I had compassion for these people, mm. you know. And that's what I'm just encouraging more people to do. But like I said, what we've been taught in the church is that our hearts are deceitful and wicked, 
you know and it's so weird because we supposedly we ask jesus into our hearts you know and no one can trust their heart all of a sudden so right. it's kind of weirds me out <laughs> well now i have a question for both uh you and uh, michael fulford uh, michael okay. you go first we've been hosting a series entitled is church harmful and <laughs> i'm gonna ask michael fulford what do you think is church harmful well, to kind of rely on my background in the Catholic Church, we were always taught that there were different levels of the church. You had the institution, you had the people, and you had the church in heaven. And I bel mm. believe I'm remembering that correctly. It's been a while since CCD. But uh, the institution is harmful. Uh, not completely, uh, but in the sense that any uh, institution that's allowed to run un unchecked with only self-regulation will become harmful. Uh, you can see that the modern Catholic Church, as an example, is very much anti-feminist, uh, mm -hmm. anti-personal rights, uh, does encourage the idea of thought crimes uh, to a degree, which is the idea, you know, you have the, if you lust after someone, that is a crime. If you think bad thoughts, that's a crime. Uh, that was something that is, as far as I know, and I don't, I may not be completely up to date. I definitely don't know as much as I liked about the current pope. Uh, it's still part of church doctrine that thinking something is equivalent to acting on something, and that you can't win against that. Uh, and in many other ways, there there are things the church has done, will do. I can say that fairly clearly. The church will do that are harmful to people, and in that sense, is wrong, or in that sense, is bad. The people. On the other hand, uh, on average, people are good people. They're decent. They're as good as the culture they're in, if not better. Uh, and I don't think that's the religion. I think that's simply the people. Uh, and I don't think that most Christians do good because they're threatened with hell. I think most Christians do good because it is good to do good. It feels good to do good, you know, to be simplistic like that. And they will do this despite the teachings of the church. Like right now in the U.S., we're having issues over gay rights. And it's split, but in the position of going towards the uh, gay rights, in, in support of gay rights among Christians here in the U.S., despite what the church teaches. And other teachings as well that are basically ignored. But, and, and that to me is proof that people know better than their religion. I think it's very good to, you know, differentiate between the institution mm -hmm. and the people. Joshua, what do you think? Is yeah. church harmful? Yeah, I, I like a lot of what Michael was saying. Um, like I would make a distinction too with the whole idea of the church. And um, of course the people, they could be great, uh, sometimes not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the institution itself, um, I've seen it. I've seen some good things come out of it, you know, where they've done a lot of charitable work, you know, helping the poor. Uh, but if I were to just be a little bit critical uh, for this part, um, I, I have seen some problems with it, uh, just like what Michael was saying. Um, I've also seen, I guess what could be very harmful is that many times when you're within that institutional environment, um, in many places, um, if not most of the places, they don't really encourage you to think for yourself. or uh, they will try to think for you. And so I, th I think that's one of the things where, you know, I think a lot of us that grew up in the church, 
we could just relate with that where when you ask somebody a question, they'll say, well, my pastor said, well, my pastor said, you know, my youth leader said, you know, and it's like a lot of them have been told what to believe and still instead of being exposed to certain ideas and letting them come to their own conclusions. And so I think in that sense, it's been pretty harmful, you know, because or you just better make sure that your leaders know the truth and are teaching the truth. But, <laughs> you know, especially in our culture here in America, I mean, there, there's a lot to criticize uh, within the institutional church. And but at the same time, I could applaud them for some of the, the good things that they have done that I'm not throwing out. Um, but yeah, so I could see it as harmful. I, I, I do know a lot of people who have met some of their closest friends at the church. And so it could be a good place for, for social reasons, you know, to meet people if you don't have a lot of friends, I guess. Uh, that, that could be a good place. But at the same time, when you are in that type of environment, it could happen where your relationships in reality are almost just superficial. You know, where they're just your friends because you go to church or they're your friends because you're in ministry with them. But um, just like my experience and a lot of people that I know that once you kind of leave those institutional churches, it's like in many times for us, it's like the relationships are gone. Exactly. exactly. And uh, they just, you know, especially when it becomes a, a, an issue of doctrine, you know, it's like you're warned about. And so I think that's I mean, there's safety in numbers. You know, it's like it's easy to believe something, but it's like when you start doubting certain ideas, um, that's where it, it becomes scary for a lot of Christians because they were not taught that way. You know, um, so, yeah, so there's both positive and negative in my my opinion. You keep saying a lot of a lot about unconditional love and possibly yeah. unconditional acceptance also. Uh, since you're going in that direction, I wanted to ask this question have we always been God's children or did a yeah. prerequisite have to be yeah. met for us to be considered his children yeah yeah um well for my whole upbringing pretty much uh, and what I was taught in school um, within evangelicalism from what I'm aware of you have to do something in order to become God's child uh, from my perspective, I believe that everybody is God's child. And everybody wow. is my brother and my sister. So I don't think that there are any prerequisites at all. Awesome. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's wow. That's great. I, I, I'm amazed at your answers because it's so different uh, than what you will find Sunday morning uh, <laughs> in most churches. Yeah. And yeah. I... I mean, something took place that really radically changed you. Can you tell us a little bit more about what really changed you? Yeah, like with this whole idea of unconditional love and all that. Right. Um, like I said, I think just a lot of it had to do with seeing this whole disconnect between what, with what I was taught and what I actually live out in my life. You know, like, like if I get in a fight with somebody and uh, they don't ask for forgiveness, I still forgive them anyways. <laughs> you know, I kind of just brush it off. But then I was taught, no, you have to ask for forgiveness, and then God forgives you, and then he accepts you. So I think that was one of the, the, the things that kind of got me to kind of wake up, just to see that whole huge disconnect between what I've been taught and what I actually do. Um, another reason why, I guess, is because I've seen how ugly false religion, just to qualify, you know, false religion on how ugly 
it could create this world to be like, you know, um, just like you guys, I'm sure you've lost a lot of friends. And for myself, I've lost a lot, you know, and I've seen on how, like even people that I never would have thought would leave me once my theology changed about this whole unconditional love and acceptance, these yeah. people left me and they won't even talk to me. And these were my friends, you know, so when I started to see, like before I was very exclusive, you know, just like a lot of uh, fundamentalist people, you know, um, it's always like we're in, you're out, we're saved, you're not, you know, we're going to heaven, you're going to hell, we're favored, you're not, you know, and I lived like that pretty much the, most of my life. Um, but when I started to realize like how this world would look like when we start having this kind of mentality, I think that's why there's so many wars, <laughs> you know, Absolutely. because it's all about, you know, we're right and you're wrong. And, and if, if you're wrong, you're going to be damned and going, you know, to hell forever, you know? So it's like, I'm all good. You know, to me, truth is in a sense, truth is exclusive, right? In, in a sense, right? It's like, that's what happens. But to the extent where when you have a belief, and when you when you disagree with somebody uh, that has a, a a different view than you, and you just you damn them, or you exclude them from God's love, I just don't see that in the life of Christ, you know. And so I just had a lot of these experiences in my own life of seeing on how religion can create a really ugly world, you know, false religion of just all this separation from each other because you look different from me, you 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 think differently than I do. It's like all these Christians and I've been in like just to let you know I've been in so many denominations my whole life I grew up I grew up in um in an assemblies of God church when I was a kid I left that church and I started helping out at a Presbyterian church teaching apologetics and then I moved to a Southern Baptist church as a pastor then I went back to an assemblies of God church and then you know so I've been through all these streams and I've seen on how when, when you have, you know, theology is just what divides us even as Christians where we have like 30 plus denominations and groups and sects, you know, groups that are, we're saying we're the only right way, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's um, like there's something wrong with that, right? Where it's like, <laughs> it just doesn't look good That's in this true. world. And, 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 I think, and I think God's love is a lot more exclusive, in inclusive than that. You know, um, especially when I look at the life of Christ and especially when I look at my own heart of how I wouldn't just damn somebody just because they don't have the same theological belief that I do, you know. And so a lot of it, like I said, has just been about being honest with myself and coming to grips with, thi with the fact that I might have been wrong on a lot of ideas my whole life, even when I defended it, you know, like hardcore you know, this exclusivism, especially being in apologetics, is like, we're right. And even if you claim to be a Christian, if your doctrine is different from mine, you're heretical or you're a cult group. Even if you claim to be a Christian, you know, so I saw, mm -hmm. I started to notice that when I started understanding God's grace, that we, we create these lines, you know, like, where do you draw the line? And I think a lot of people have created these lines, you know, where you can't go beyond this line. And I'm trying to expand those lines to say, you know, maybe we're, we're, we're becoming a little bit too narrow of how God looks at this world, you know. So I think we'll be a lot more surprised when we die of how many people God actually accepts into his heart. In fact, I think everyone's already accepted into his heart. Absolutely. Great. That's yeah. a great point. Uh, a couple of things. Um, 
Bob Graves is um, a part of the New Covenant group here, and he has a show yeah. called The Unconventional yeah. Pastor. And he wrote a yeah. blog. It was it was uh-huh. fascinating. And he he said it's not us against them; it's this against that. And if, yeah. we, if we look at things like that, if we look at somebody and say, you know, it's not, you know, person against person, but it might be my idea against your idea. You know, it takes away yeah. some of the, the strife and the, the meanness yeah, sure. out of things it should. And uh, you mentioned apologetics uh, several times. You know, that that term is sort of a turnoff, I think, to a lot of people. And I'm wondering, do you really think nowadays it's relevant in today's culture? Um, in some contexts, I, I, I use it in the sense that people actually invite me over because they know my background is in apologetics. So in that sense. Uh, but when it comes to our culture in general, um, probably not, especially with what I've seen within evangelical apologetics, where it's like we're the right way and the rest of the world that's not within that evangelical stream is wrong and going to hell kind of thing. Um, I mean, I do stay away from that word, you know, but, but people tend to um, contact me because of my background in that area where they get a little bit more open to me with a lot of my views because of my background. Like I, I was just at my university that I graduated from last week and I was sharing to this person my, my journey and they're like, Josh, we remember you long time ago. You had the answers to like everything. <laughs> you know, you're defending the Bible. Like this person saw me do several Q and A's throughout my seminary years because that's what I would do. I would travel and I would do Q and A's. I wouldn't preach a lot. I would just defend the faith, so to speak. And I could see what you're saying on how it could be a turnoff as if, okay, we're defending our faith, which implies that the rest of the faiths that are in the world are completely wrong. And right. so, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. It could turn people off. In fact, when I, when I hear apologetics now, um, and I'm grateful, you know, I'm, you know, I do want to thank a lot of the apologists that were in my life that, you know, I was privileged enough to study under some of the top philosophers and apologists in America that you read in your apologetic books. So I was in that world for many years and I and, and they're very sincere in my mind you know how they wanted to help me but like I said I, I do see on how it, it comes it, it becomes too ex- exclusive where I think it doesn't help people and and at the same time when I do hear apologetics now like you know I get I get invitations to, to go to apologetic events still and and when I watch a lot of it you know, to be honest, it sounds funny, but it, a lot of it doesn't me- even make sense to me anymore. Sure. You know, I, I was even watching a video today from my favorite Christian apologist from back in the day. He was my favorite. And then I heard one of his videos defending inerrancy. And I'm just like, it doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> you know, so like, bless his heart. You know, my my wife heard it when she was in the bathroom. I was, I was listening to it in the room and she just started to laugh when she saw me watching it. And I'm like, well, it's so weird because when I was studying apologetics, it made so much sense at that time, you know, but now a lot of it, I feel like a lot of it are, they just sound like nice cliches, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, so I, I find a lot of it, it, it lacks some depth that I'm looking for. Like that's more realistic for me. So, but yeah, I, I, I don't, I think it could be a turnoff for a lot of people. There, there is a, a theological concept with the term grace, and many mm-hmm. people use the term grace as if 
we don't deserve something, but God gives it yeah. to us anyhow. And many mm -hmm. people um, that is in theism think that, you know, I, I don't deserve to be saved, but God saved me anyhow. I don't deserve yeah. goodness in my life, but I, I have it anyhow. And yeah. they simply walk around praising God as if, you know, he has to receive all the praise, honor, and glory forever. And, <laughs> and I'm just some wicked, wretched individual. And uh, yeah. to me, there's something wrong Sad. with that. And so I guess the question yeah. is, do you think that all of us, and I'm talking about atheists and theists alike, yeah. do you think that all yeah. of us deserve the love of God? Do you believe that all of us deserve his support? and his protection or should yeah. we at all feel like we don't deserve any of it um it's kind of like a tricky question <laughs> uh i mean the way that i heard it well of course in the sense of grace being undeserved but um but in the sense of how is grace dispensed in this world i would say that it's for everybody that god shows no no favoritism so god supports uh, anybody, whether you're an atheist, Buddhist, Christian, Hindu, doesn't even matter. Um, now, like what you were mentioning earlier, I'm not for that whole self-loathing and I'm just like a worm and filthy. You know, when, when I speak at a lot of churches, that's actually one of the things that I, I bring up a lot that's done so much damage to a lot of people. So uh, whether or not we argue, do we deserve it or not, I, I believe that God's love is for the whole world, that God shows no favoritism. You know, um, I was even talking about it with someone recently about how even Christians come off as like, I'm the favored child of God. I have God's favor. When I walk in a room, God's favor follows me and the rest of the people in the in the restaurant don't have it if they're not God's child. And I'm thinking, I thought God shows no favoritism. You know, I believe that everybody is in God's heart. God is willing to support anybody and bless. In fact, he already has. It's just whether or not people recognize it or not. You know, so I do, like I said, I do find God's love very inclusive. And I don't think he wants us beating ourselves up every night talking about how we're filthy and dirty and we don't deserve him. He gave us his heart. He gave us his life, you know, um, and we could experience it in many ways. All right. Uh, I'm going to ask a question again to both Michael and Joshua. Um, Michael, what are the three biggest sacred cows in your opinion that religion holds today or the church would you say the three biggest um, well when you say religion of course I'm going to have to say that that's a really big term there's a lot it of is. different religions it is okay and, I tell you what let's just yeah. narrow it down to Christianity well, the yeah, I was going to go there. <laughs> but, <laughs> when it comes to Christianity, I, I guess the three biggest, the, I still think the majority is Catholic in the U.S. I'm not 100%. I haven't checked the stats recently. But uh, three biggest, certainly the Bible would be one. Uh, the church, uh, even despite the many scandals that have been coming out, is still fairly high up on things that you know it's a church you, whatever they say goes despite most of them not following it anyways I don't know how that works personally um, and then the third 
would probably be either hell or uh, Jesus on the cross. Okay. And I, the reason why I say that is, is when it comes to, if I have to have a discussion with religious, and I, I, I enjoy having discussion with religious people. Many of them know the Bible. Despite some claims, I have met many religious people who know the Bible better than I do. And I enjoy having that discussion when it comes up. But uh, there's two things that will come up. Either, you know, did, are you saying Jesus sacrificed himself for no reason? And, well, that's one discussion to have. Or do you want to go to hell? And this is Pascal's wager and the whole idea of, well, isn't it safer to believe in God because you go to hell? And uh, it, to me, it always makes me wonder, well, why are those the two things you go to? You know, why not something, you know, well, the fourth would be how can you be a good person? But those two that are equivalent are, you know, did God, did Jesus sacrifice himself for nothing or are you afraid of hell? And there's nothing about, you know, well, what about being good or, you know, how can you justify being good? You know, that morality has to come from the church because it's not even really that. It's just that what the church says goes. It's not morality. It's what the church says goes. Okay. In my opinion. Okay. Thank you, Joshua. Yeah, uh, the three biggest sacred cows you said. Yes. In the church. In, in the yeah. church, um, well, Christianity. For, in Christianity, I guess I could only speak within uh, the evangelical world for me because that's the world that I'm most familiar with. <laughs> so um, for me, I guess a top three would be <clears throat> penal substitution, <clears throat> because when you a typical evangelical will say that is the gospel, which is one of the reasons why. I, I, you know, I focus on that now. Uh, the second one would be um, inerrancy. Um, is the Bible really God's word and true without error? Uh, lastly, I would say one big hot topic now would be the whole idea of, um, of hell, eternal conscious torment. So that, that's just how I see things. You know, a lot of people are talking about that right now, that um, people are starting to rethink their views of, of all three of those issues. Let, let me read a, f a few comments. Uh, these comments are getting out of hand, mm -hmm. not in a negative sense. We have more comments <laughs> okay. coming out. That's, that's probably my mom. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> okay. Uh, Lisa Graves, uh, Bob Graves' wife, she writes, so agree with Joshua. She really likes what you're saying. Uh, another person uh, makes this comment. His name is Charlie. He said, I think most Christians should be very apologetic about the way they've treated people of unlike belief. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Another person is saying, what about radical grace? Mm -hmm. Another person is saying, uh, lots of friends also turned from me and walked away. And, and lots of, of theists are having this happen to them. Uh, Bob Graves mm -hmm. says, uh, love this guy, Joshua. He's awesome. Nelson Rose says, it is refreshing to see more people breaking free, that is, from tradition. Bob mm -hmm. Graves also writes, I can relate to how strange things sound to me <laughs> that I once believed but no longer hold to. And so he he did come out of uh, the fundamentalist oh, yeah. movement, and it mm. sounds so strange to hear those bells <laughs> ringing from time to time. And, and so yeah. I, I guess this brings me to a question that I wanted to ask you tonight. Okay. Uh, 
Can you give us a sample of what you were like years ago? Okay, like in my more... Uh, yeah, I, I want you to get ways. me saved or something like that. I mean, um, give us a sample yeah. so we can have some juxtaposition. Yeah, like a little sermonette. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing this wonderful, nice, humble guy <laughs> who loves everyone, uh, smiling, uh, wonderful gentleman. Let me hear what that old uh josh was, was like <laughs> you mean you want me to like preach yeah okay and, and get then, after it you know okay um i'll give an example in 2008 I, I preached at this one big church and this is before i started understanding grace so i speak to this huge crowd and i tell all the people and i was pointing to all the young people and i said all you guys that are partying out there you guys are sneaking hypocrites, dragging Jesus' name in the mud. <laughs> and I was yelling. <laughs> and I remember uh, I let my wife hear that sermon when we got married. And she told me to shut it off because she just laughs because, like, she doesn't see that anymore. But I was very in your face. Um, I don't care if I offend you because I'm, my, my goal at that time was just to get the truth into you, you know, and um, because you were deceived. And so I was very, you know, I guess what I could always say about my life, I've always been very passionate for what I believe, even if it's not good ideas. <laughs> you know, so when I had some ideas that were probably more hurtful or exclusive, I was very passionate. And um, yeah, and so I, I, I do feel bad for, you know, and believe it or not, people actually like a lot of those messages and they actually came to the front and started crying and repenting so i guess a lot of people like fear <laughs> they <laughs> you do. know so it's it's weird but yeah i i was very much gung-ho and so when i started to understand god's heart even more as i'm still learning now i'm still going gung-ho and you know i'm, I'm of course I've, I've i've come down in a way where i'm not i'm trying not to be as dogmatic as i used to be um but yeah I was very uh, passionate for things, even if it wasn't the nicest things. <laughs> Do you think that God's Word, well, let, let me phrase it like this. Do you think that the Bible is actually God's Word, or is it what man said God said? Uh, the latter. Yeah, the second thing you said. So I, I think it's man's words about God. Can you expound on um, that a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I do believe that we could say that it's inspired in a sense that, like, I'm inspired when I share a message, um, but I don't think that it's God's Word in the sense of inerrancy, uh, where everything is 100% true. I do believe that it could also be man's Word in the sense that, about God, in the sense where God has revealed Himself, but there's also man's perception of how they understand certain things, you know, where we do have these limitations of understanding certain ideas. And so in that sense, it could be filtered and flawed in a sense, where that's why when I do read the Bible, I, I, I could look at the Bible and look at things that I do agree with and some things where I don't agree with it. You know, so I think the, the, the Bible is a very, it's a, it's a human book that the authors at times did have the correct perceptions of God and the afterlife and people, but at times, it's also a record of people who did not have a correct perception of God and humanity and the afterlife. You know, so in that sense, it's very human, 
where people did make mistakes, in my opinion. Yeah. The Apostle Paul makes a statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Yeah. However, it seems like most church people or possibly pastors in churches concentrate yeah. on wrongs most of the time. Why mm -hmm. so if love doesn't keep a record of wrongs? Because um, they're so focused on morality. <laughs> I think their understanding of Christianity is all about morality and doing good, you know, um, like I could speak for myself and some of my friends, like even my friends when I was in school, they're very like hardcore too. When we would hear of a particular sin that's going on within the church, we would actually call it out. And so, I mean, that's how heartless we can be, <laughs> you know, where it's oh, like wow. we thought we were doing good, that the only way to stop that sin is to keep pointing it out and telling people you got to stop. And I think that's where the church got it, got, you know, they have it backwards where they're trying to, they look at Christianity as like behavior modification, you know, where it's all about becoming more of a moral person. And I'm all for morality, uh, depending on what we mean from that. Like, it's, it's nice to be a good person, but I think that's where religion has crept in, where we just look at Christianity solely, you know, where it's just basically morality. And claiming to have a relationship with God and having morality. <laughs> That's it. It's like, don't smoke, don't drink, don't say bad words. You know, it's like, I, I think that's because that's the way they perceive God is like that. You know, so I don't think God, you know, you're, you're quoting, you know, Corinthians. And if we could replace that word love with God, then God does not keep a record of wrongs. You know, love, love, that's just the way love is. You know, but I think it's because that's the way they think God is like. And if God is just, just, just like this judge sitting on his throne, uh, then I, I think that's the way they constantly perceive him. So when they try to share to other people about God, that's the way they share to people about God. It's like he's some sort of judge, which is what I've been believing most of my life, to be honest. You know, even up until, um, even when I was in seminary, I thought of God as always like he's, I, you know, he's keeping track of all of my sins and, and I felt so bad where, you know, I share this because it's funny, where like when I would do something that probably was not a good choice to make, I wouldn't talk to God the entire day. Like I would wait until the next morning because the feeling would go away, you know, the feeling of guilt, you know. So I would just really ignore God because I felt like he was going to use that against me. Or when I would go to a place that I was considering bad at the time, I would be afraid that God was going to make me get in a car accident. You know, so I, I, I know how that feels, you know, like, I think the church is so sin focused because they think God is so sin focused. And I don't think God is not. Right. I, I don't think God is. I mean, right. Yeah. Well, I love that. But, you know, when you say that God is not sin focused, that's powerful because, you know, the concept of atonement that is in most classical senses of the word uh, means yeah. that God is keeping a record of wrongs, and therefore Jesus yeah. came, died to take care of the record, cover the record, and so yeah. it's 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 not reconcilable to think that, you know, if God is love and if love doesn't keep a record of wrongs, why should we even have the doctrine of atonement? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I think uh, I think that's why. Oh, go ahead, Rhonda. No, I'm so sorry. I interrupted you. That's uh, okay. Good. <laughs> um, I was going to say that uh, my husband teaches that 
God doesn't forgive us. And it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to wrap your mind around it, you know, if you've been brought up in the church. But what he's saying is to be, have to forgive somebody is you've held a grudge against them. You have resentment toward them. Right. Then you right. have, you know, then you need to forgive. And as humans, mm-hmm. you know, we do those things sometimes. Uh, hold grudges, hold yeah. resentments, keep a record of wrongs. Mm-hmm. And so I should forgive People, I do that too. We believe God does not do that. He doesn't regret okay. that he, he has made us. He doesn't hold anything, right. our sins against us. Um, he looks at yeah. sin like, you know, a physician that we need help. We need medicine. We need, yeah. you know, this balm. Yeah. And so yeah. what is there to forgive? And yeah. so a question that I, I have written down is, do you believe that God has to forgive us, all of his children, and you've stated that you believe we're all his children. Yeah. Do you believe that he has to forgive us for us to have a relationship with him? Okay. Uh, no. Wow. <laughs> you, know, you, okay. You, could, you could have a relationship with somebody, uh, whether or not you forgive them or not. Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't think so. I don't think it's like once he dies on the cross and then the forgiveness is given and then now God has a relationship with you. What happened before that then? You know, did God not have a relationship with people before he forgave them? So um, I think that's why there's so many problems with how we understand the whole idea of the atonement. Right. You know, so and I, and I think, too, just to clarify, like, I don't think I'm even taking sin lightly. I think a lot of the people who are holding to penal substitutionary theory saying they, they, they think that they take sin seriously because Jesus had to be punished for it. But if sin is merely about breaking a law that has to be punished, how is that taking it seriously? So I like what you were saying on how you could look at it as more of like God is like a physician to us, that, that sin is more of like there, there are bad choices that we make, where you, you, you could put a fruit and you could leave it out in the sun and it's eventually going to rot. I, I guess in a sense, in a sense, right, that you could say that that's kind of what sin has done to us, you know, where we've made these bad choices, where we, we start projecting our brokenness onto God and the way we perceive the world. And so sin has hurt us. But to think of sin as something that just needs to be punished and then everything's solved now. Right. <laughs> I mean, how does that help someone who gets locked up in prison and then they're there for 20 years or even life, right? Or if they, if not even life, if they eventually get out, okay, they were punished, but now they're out but they're still the same person, right? So if it's all about just being punished, and then that's what justice is all about, to me, that doesn't even take sin seriously. But someone who does take sin seriously is someone who's willing to enter into our world and to identify with our brokenness and to bring healing into our hearts. I think that's someone who really understands the whole idea of you know, how, how sin has affected humanity. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. You know, one of the things that my wife and I practice uh, we've tried to quit forgiving our children. And what I mean by this <laughs> is yeah. uh, we're trying to rise above it, if that makes sense. Yeah. In other words, the, yeah, Mayo, the Mayo Clinic says that forgiveness is getting rid of your resentment, you know, the grudges that you hold yeah. against people, the record of wrongs. Yeah. And one of the things yeah. that we see with our children, we don't want to hold anything against our children. We don't want to hold grudges. We don't want to resent them. And therefore, if yeah. we can quit that kind of um, behavior, 
Uh, we find that it's 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 a yeah. poor behavior. It's it's poor character yeah. to hold things against yeah. your children. And so, what my wife was speaking about a few minutes ago was that, you know, if God is so good, maybe He's above what forgiveness is. That is, in in the concepts that we've dealt with theologically, and also the concepts that we normally yeah. speak of in in religion. And so, the question would be: yeah. Does God forgive us? Does He need to get rid of his resentment and grudges and all of that, or is he above that? In other words, is he yeah. just trying to help us, as you're suggesting? Yeah, I, I, I think I understand what you're saying. So if it's defined that way, yeah, I think God would be above that. You I, know, because like even with my wife, when when we would get in some arguments here and there, you know, just as a couple, we don't even do the whole "Will you forgive me?" or I, you know, funny thing is when when we get in an argument with each other, I don't think in my head. I will forgive her. I will forgive her. You know, honestly, that doesn't even cross my mind, honestly. And I don't even know how I got to that. Now I'm just being aware of it now. Um, <laughs> when we fight, you know, we just have these arguments and I realize, well, that was stupid what I said or I disagree with her. But I just I, I try to look. I just look at her heart. You know, I just I, I love my wife and I could see her hurting or she could see me hurting. But it's not like. You know, do you forgive me or I forgive you? Right, <laughs> you you've know, gone beyond that. Apologize and then, yeah, it's kind of beyond that. So in that sense, I, I see where you guys are going with that. And I think that's actually a beautiful thing to to see God that way. Right. That he won't hold his grudges against us or hold his resentment towards us. So, Well, let me confess a sin that I committed a few minutes ago. <laughs> uh, it's okay, I won't let it get you. I read Charlie's comment concerning apologetic and he states my comment about being apologetic was a joke because you asked if apologetics were still relevant i didn't mean for it to be read so accusingly and so uh i i didn't mean to misrepresent your comment at all and so i do apologize for that nelson rose he says spot on with human book its authority is a fallacy in other words uh think that Nelson is simply saying that the doctrine of inerrancy is very fallacious and that's yeah. that's the thing that's really uh, the thing that's being really nuanced tonight by you and I so appreciate yeah. that because as a translator uh, I have yeah. to tell people all the time that we do not have the indexical and didactic elements for the text to even know what it says that is, if we're really, really intellectually honest about uh, most of the Greek and most of the Hebrew, we're still not there yet. Uh, so much is lacking. And why do you think that so many people are banking on a book and manuscripts that we really don't have a lot of understanding of? I mean, we're talking about ancient text. We don't have, for yeah. instance, the indexicality, which means that you know, we don't have those non-linguistic elements. In other words, mm -hmm. I, I can state something to you and pause and make gestures, and it augments the meaning altogether. It's not just about linguistics. Mm -hmm. It's about these non-linguistic issues. And, and mm -hmm. you know, Jesus could have said X, Y, and Z with a pause, and it would change everything. And we don't have all of those things to yeah. really comprehend the text, and yet we are so dogmatic about yeah. the text. Why is that true? <clears throat> Why are people so dogmatic about it? Yeah. About the text? Yeah, honestly, I just think it's just tradition or that's what they were taught. Um, or they're just afraid to trust themselves or listen to their own heart. 
you know, so, you know, I, I'm with you on that where like, in, for me, inerrancy just doesn't even make sense anymore because like inerrancy is actually just talking about how the, the original, the autographs are inerrant, you know, it's not even referring to the translations that we have. <laughs> so when people pick up their Bible and they hold it up thinking this is God's word, it's inerrant, inerrancy doesn't even refer to the Bible that you're holding in your hand. It's referring to the original, the autographs, you know, and then you have the whole issue of, you know, just translations, um, the way the scribes have dealt with it, you know, or, or just the fact that Jesus spoke in Aramaic and we're, it's written in Greek. So is it really word for word? You know, so there's a whole bunch of areas that we have to deal with. That it, it gets scary for people when you start delving into this area because you'll see that it's not as perfect as we thought. You know that you know what we were told. So I, I'm with you on that. There, there's a lot of things that we have to work through with why, understanding. Why, this why whole do book. you th- why do you think that most people are secure in feeling as if the autographs are inerrant when we have no autographer? We we don't have any aut- you know, original writing of any author of any book of the Bible, and uh, <laughs> we don't even have a good model of it, much less you know, the thing itself and uh, higher forms of uh, textual criticism would indicate that these uh, various manuscripts that we do have, the extant ones that we do have, the thousands that we have, uh, these are uh, manuscripts that have been manipulated much in every way. And so the question would be, why why do you think that we are so naive, that is, as theists? You know, what's what's causing this, this, this... blurred vision or this dishonesty if you will i think um i guess people are so naive about the whole issue because they haven't looked into it or they're convinced with the apologetic arguments that are given now and so when people would tell me that inerrancy you know even though we don't have the originals we have good manuscript copies and then there's a reliability with it i for a time actually for the majority of my adult life um during Bible school, I did, I was convinced with some of the arguments that some of the well-known apologists would give about, you know, the reliability of the people copying, you know, the scribes and all that. But I guess with a lot of the material that I read nowadays, it's just convincing me otherwise, you know? So I do think a lot of it has to do because people have not looked into it. I mean, you have a lot of people that are, you know, without mentioning names, people who are you know, who were very fundamentalist Christians, and when they started doing their homework, they started becoming agnostic after that, you know, because they, they never looked into it themselves. And so that's what's scary is that, like, majority, 90%, if not more, of the things that we've been taught or even the practices that we have, it's just it's, it's based on tradition. And I'm just encouraging people, just like I think what you guys are doing, is, like, giving them perspectives, but for them to ultimately, for them to look in you know, look at, into them uh, for themselves, you know, and I think just a lot of people are afraid to do that. And, and I could understand. I mean, like I've had conversations with you over the phone, uh, Michael, where like I'm telling you some of the, the stuff that I'm looking into. And it, it does make me a little bit uncomfortable with some of the ideas that I'm exploring. And, and but I do think that in the end, it's worth it, you know, to sure. discover something. And the uncomfortable feeling is normal because you were just taught the complete opposite your whole life, you know, and so mm-hmm. who likes to be wrong, right? You know, so I, I think I, I could identify that there is that fear also of also just exploring alternative, you know, alternative ideas that are different than what you've been 
holding your whole life. So, you know, when I look at the Greek manuscripts, for instance, when I look at so many different kinds of language flux that is within one book alone could not be yeah. authored by just one individual, but authored by various. Uh, and you can see that this, the styles are just so different that they're yeah. not even within close proximity, that is, time-wise. And then we have people who would argue that we do have inerrancy as a potential. Uh, this is not a small um, claim that is I would suggest that it's it's an extreme lie because none of the evidence yeah. points towards inerrancy. It, port, it, it, it points towards <laughs> something that's so far away from that. Uh, I, I just yeah. I, I just can't comprehend why I yeah. believed it because years ago I was very much a person who did believe that we did have an inerrant uh, uh, doctrine that is uh, yeah. we had a doctrine of inerrancy that could be supported however um, by the time that I became fluent in the languages I had to say this is a lie I mean this is this is just too obvious yeah. it's it's I yeah. mean, you don't you don't have to do anything but just read it and you you, yeah. you can see it's it's just self-apparent yeah I, and I think I think it is just you know plain and simple a lot of it um, a lot of it is ignorance you know, a lot of it is just they just haven't looked into it or they're just not being honest with themselves. You know, when I usually speak on this subject at different venues, one of the questions that I ask a lot of people in the beginning is, you know, how many of you have read the Bible cover to cover? And of course, the majority of the hands, they don't go up. Right now, a lot of people have read the Bible cover to cover. And I said, and some of you who haven't read this book cover to cover, you automatically assume that it is 100 percent true. Why do you do that? You know, and then some of you who have read the Bible cover to cover, my challenge is, did you look into every single verse and find out if everything's true, you know, and do all your homework? And no one's done that. No one. So it's purely on assumption. And so what I've started to realize that there is no such thing as inerrantist. It's just like, it's like make-believe. When someone claims to be an inerrantist, like, of course not. Because when you start to grill them with certain passages in the scripture, uh, they can't deny it's there, so they come up with a weird explanation in order to try to be consistent with what they're claiming, right. you know, or, or, or they just plead mystery or something like that. And it's weird because I just I feel like it's just a double standard when it comes to uh, um, Islamic apologetics. Like we could criticize their book and we could say certain things are violent, blah blah blah, and then when they say stuff about ours, somehow we could just claim it's a mystery or you know God killed the people killed the Malachites as it as a way of God's mercy. You know, like I've heard all those arguments. It's wild. You know, it's like <laughs> like why do we approach it in such a different way to other violent sacred texts? But when it comes to ours, you can't do that because the assumption is it's all true. <laughs> right. So it's hard for them to accept those those violent and a lot of those passages are just not good if we just be honest with ourselves. It's kind of like saying uh, somebody else's baby's ugly, but you don't want anybody to say your baby's <laughs> ugly. Yeah, <laughs> right. Because sort of you're, you're the mom. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> Before we uh, get away from this topic, there is a comment coming in, and I think that it needs to be addressed. This person is asking the question, so what do we do throughout the Bible? Yeah. 
You want me to answer that? Yeah. Uh, you can do whatever you want <laughs> with the Bible. <laughs> I mean, you, you can throw it out or you can keep it. Now, the reason why I keep it is because I do think it is is it a, it is a unique book in the sense that that there were people at that time that did have a real life experience with Christ. You know, so I'm not saying it's unique in the sense it's authoritative as God's 100% inerrant word, but it's history. Right. And it's it's a way to and there there is a lot of wisdom in there. I do get a lot of out of uh, what Jesus has taught, or even even some of the wisdom literature, even in the Old Testament. But I also, I also filter everything that I read with my understanding of God's unconditional love, and so I don't throw it out like you know the Martianites. I'm not rejecting the the, the Old Testament, and I actually you know I would encourage someone to read the Old Testament just so you could see how people have interacted with with God, and you can even learn from their mistakes, and so. You know, when when people tend to have a mentality like, should we just throw out our Bible? Then what are we going to do now? Well, then if we kind of have that mentality, then that Bible has been your God. <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. I always challenge people: if you were to live in a desert with no Bible, would you still be okay, or do you have to read the Bible every day? You're going to struggle your whole life. <laughs> you know, um, you know personally, uh, you know, I'll, I'll admit this, okay? Because I've shared this with people. I, I haven't admitted this publicly too often, but um, I don't read my Bible very much, to be honest. These days, I usually read my Bible when I'm preparing for a sermon that I'm doing, Um, because a lot of it, I do have it in my heart. And a lot of it, a lot of the times I'm reading a lot of different other books, you know, but the Bible is not my ultimate standard of authority that I have to judge everything based upon what the Bible says, because the Bible itself argues against itself because there's so many contradictions in it. You know, one passage says there's no afterlife in Ecclesiastes in the New Testament. We talk about an afterlife, you know, it's like, you know, so the Bible is, it's, it's an, it's a conversation within itself of people that have genuinely experienced God. So if you could, if you could look at the Bible like that, then it, 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 it's, it's something awesome to keep in your home that you could read once in a while of people who have genuinely experienced God or had genuine, genuine accounts with Jesus Christ, you know? So, but like I said, you can do whatever you want with it. Right. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I keep mine. I keep mine because I do think it is a good book. In some ways, so so okay, the question, let's... so the question would be, and, and I'll get off this particular topic. Well, I've got a question subject. for Michael. Oh, oh do you? Okay, uh, but I I think that you would agree with this uh, when it comes to the Bible. It's best just to be honest about what it is, and what it says. Yeah. In other words, yeah. let's accept yeah. the fact that it isn't perfect. Let's accept yeah. the fact that it has many contradictions. And let's accept the yeah. fact that actually this is what man said. God said, it's not something that God yeah. actually wrote Himself or anything like yeah, that. We don't have any evidence yeah. of that at all. And so it's simply yeah. what man perceived to be true. And you know, right. being willing to be honest about the text is is very valuable. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Well said. Um, I like it the way you said. Uh, yes, that was. <laughs> That was poignant, honey. Um, Michael, let's get your spin on the Bible. Is it something to toss out, or do we keep it and read it? Or what is your opinion on that? I enjoy anthropology. So from that perspective, it's definitely something to hold on to. Uh, We do live in a Christian culture, so having the Bible as a reference would be good. 
I don't want to see the Bible used as a textbook in school, but in religious class or in literature, I can definitely see it as playing a role uh, in historical studies in the sense of this is what people believed at a time and this is how the world came about, certainly. And uh, two, yeah, it's mostly, uh, it's oral history, so it's not exactly myth in a lot of instances, but what probably happened doesn't match the actual events as occurred in the Bible. But it does tell us a lot about the people. It does tell us a lot about what they thought of themselves as a way of culturally developing as they did. And the really useful thing for me as someone who enjoys mythology is you can see how myths from other cultures uh, came to influence what came into the Bible. And you can kind of learn a bit about people. What were stories that were important? What were the themes that were important? And we, a lot of the themes that made it into the Bible from other cultures are ones that we still kind of hold on today. There's a reason why a lot of modern stories have very close similarities to stories that are in the Bible. You have uh, brother against brother, Cain and Abel. You have uh, love stories. You have uh, uh, underdog stories in the Bible. <laughs> and so you got a lot of these stories that are important stories to us just because they are good stories. And I think that's important. And also, I would, I'm personally one of those people that I would never get rid of books, period. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I love books. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> same, same here. <laughs> Next question, um, and I really want you to go full circle with this one. And it's not a question that uh, you're aware of, uh, not okay. to my knowledge anyway. But I want to ask this because it's very meaningful to me. My wife, and it sounds like I heard something in your tone, in your voice, that would indicate something similar to what I'm going through. Uh, my wife really helps to mature me. And as a theist, I was raised to think that man was the head of the woman. Yeah. And women were, in a sense, secondary. And when I read <laughs> the Bible, I find that men could purchase as many wives as they could afford. Yeah. And it it was like, and it wasn't just like, but women were treated like chattel. And yeah. so my question is, what can you say tonight that would free a lot of people? That is concerning women, because I think that women, I think if they would have written theology, our theology would have been much different. It would have been a much more mm. compassionate uh, yeah. message. Yeah. It would have been something, uh, I don't think it would be as failed as it is now. I, <laughs> you know, when I talk to my wife, she yeah. just overwhelms me with this, this abundance of mercy and kindness. She's always teaching me and and sometimes yeah. i think that we look at these male dominant uh rights w-r-i-t-e-s yeah. and we applaud them and i think that we're not listening enough to women what are your ideas yeah, yeah. what are my thoughts on that yeah on the whole idea of men and women um well yeah like what you were pointing out in the Bible, you're going to see various perspectives on that that would contradict each other. You know, so even within the Old and the New Testament, um, for, for myself personally, I am an egalitarian. 
you know so i i've never even in our whole marriage i've never had this attitude of i'm the head of the household you need to submit to me uh that those words have ever come out of my mouth i think i would sound funny um, that's good but i've always looked at my wife as someone that was equal with me and i i do think that i was just listening to a a scholar earlier who was who was a woman um and and to me i, I just appreciated her, her her attitude and her tone and she just brought this i don't even know how to say but it's just like this motherly <laughs> type of perspective that's like you don't hear all too often from you know these male scholars you know approaching the text a certain way or where where it's all about like a triumphalist version but there's like this nurturing tone that i that i heard from this woman scholar and it was like i wish i heard more of that you know and um but yeah, the women have so much to bring to the table. Um, my wife, what I love about my wife, I could have these, um, a lot of these conversations that we're having now with my wife. In fact, I have this, these conversations with her all the time. So it saddens me on how people have used the Bible to justify uh, like sexism or just this whole patriarchal mindset. You, you get what I'm saying? Where like even in the Testament, it's told women to be silent or, or in Timothy where women cannot have authority over a man or to teach a man and, and, and but yet another passage it talks about how there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek. It's we're all one. So it's like there's these weird contradictions or apparent contradictions, whatever you want to call it, that are there. And um and I think the heart of God is is really to subvert that whole idea of of, of you know this patriarchal mindset that they had during that time where even the women were the some of the first witnesses of the resurrection, you know, and there there were even apostles that were women, you know, that people don't even talk about in history. And so, I, like you, I, I, there's so much that women can bring to the table, you know, not to say that one's better than the other, men or female, but just we're, we're we're equal, you know. And I just wish more people within the church would see that. Well, I'm sure you're making a lot of brownie points with all the women out there. <laughs> um, now, you and your wife, have, you, you do a show together, right? Like a radio-type jam session. You know, Can you give us a little uh, bit about that? A show? Uh, no, we don't do a show. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought y'all... No, she's with me wherever I go, Okay. I minister. Okay, see, maybe that's so where I'm getting. Oh, she, she's like a videographer, right? She's. Oh yeah, she she's a videographer. Okay. But yeah, but we don't do uh, we don't do a, do a show together. So I I support her in everything that she does, you know. So I do my thing and and she does her thing and, um, yeah. So she, she's great. You should meet her someday. Great. Yeah, we <laughs> would probably, love to. I'm probably seen... laughing right now. She could hear me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, she, she has a lot to bring to the table. So She does have a blog site, right? She has a blog. Um, she was even working on it today, and her, her number one post is about um, about the church. Oh, well. <laughs> the, the reasons why she stopped going to church. So, um, yes. yeah, she, she, she brings that side where, because for me, I'm very logical, you know, I that's very, you know, it's just like my, my wife, she's so, it's funny because she's so simple at times, it just makes more sense. Right. <laughs> so it's like when I, when I would have all these arguments and tell her my views that I'm, you know, I'm starting to explore, you know, and she'll just give me this other perspective. And it's just so simple because it's just, it's just a hard, you know, and I think that's the beauty of it all. I, I really feel like theology is really best understood through relationships. You know, instead of just reading it from a book and just experiencing and understanding love even deeper with my marriage with my wife, 
and not just reading a book. Or for for those of us who have kids, you just you start learning about that unconditional love more. Where that those experiences tend to kind of drive your theology instead of just what you pulled in a book or something like that. So, you know, so yeah, my wife has been able to teach me a lot of things and um, keep things more simple for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she 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 tends to get God's love better than I do at times. You know? <laughs> I just teach it. I just teach it more, but um, <laughs> she shows it to me. She shows it to me a lot more at times. Well, that's great. It's been wonderful yeah. to have you tonight on our show. Um, oh, thank you. So many of the things that you have stated <laughs> have been just off the charts. To be honest with you, I mean, they've been very, very good. And I, I didn't read all the comments. Most of them were just saying, "He's awesome. He's awesome. He's <laughs> awesome." Tell so, uh, my family and relatives. Yeah, okay. You, you have fest. a big fan club. <laughs> uh, we want to announce that we will have a gentleman by the name of Vince uh, Laria here uh, next. Laria. Is it Laria? Laria, okay. That would be Vince Laria uh, here with us next Sunday night. And this will be many Sunday night shows in a row. Now, he's an artist. And he's going to come in and paint behind us, honey, while we're doing this show because we want to demonstrate that we're going to create uh, a brand new set uh, right in front of people as we're doing shows. And so it's going to be interesting because this guy is extremely talented. And um, I think that he will be able to nuance what we're doing here and so here at the cult of honesty (laughs) we've had the privilege of listening to joshua tongle uh, share his many viewpoints Uh, i want to hear what michael thinks about joshua i mean being an atheist (laughs) secular secular humanist uh, what do you think about joshua Uh, give me the good good parts (laughs) (laughs) well i encourage anybody who's religious to examine their holy books and their holy beliefs and anything that they anything you feel afraid to question you should question and anyone who does that i highly respect the the only real question i would have is uh, there's a lot about the bible Uh, what do you feel about other holy books like the quran or the uh, indian holy text that i cannot pronounce at the moment yeah yeah are you asking me yes yeah oh i'm okay with all those books. I mean, if you see my library at home, it's all full of, like, I have several Qurans and <laughs> other, I study a lot of Eastern religions as well, and so there's so much that you can learn from every religious group, so. Absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah. And I, I, if I could just say, all of you guys, um, you guys are all awesome. You know, I know there are two Michaels, right? Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, both, but both of you guys, um, yeah, you guys are awesome just for being who you are. You know, I don't care if you're an atheist, man. I still love you. So it's like, whatever. I'm not even going to try to convert anybody. <laughs> this is just how I understand things, and that's how you understand things. And um, you're awesome. You know, so Rhonda, you're yeah. awesome too. Well, I appreciate <laughs> you guys that. You so beautiful, like a couple, and um, just appreciate your, your, your gentle spirits. You know, it's so rare. Honestly, it's so rare to find stuff like this. Uh, you know, like a Christian ministry, like having conversations. Like when I first heard about your show, I was telling so many people about, like, dude, they got atheists on the show. It's wild. It's so cool. <laughs> you know, without without judging them or trying to convert them. And I think honestly, that's that's really God's heart, and and that's my heart. And so I I really applaud the both of you for just sticking through all the criticism and 
and Michael, we've had several conversations over the phone. Uh, you've just been so kind to me over the phone and just trying to accommodate to me and what we wanted to talk about. And so um, thank you so much for this has been a real honor for me to be well, on this show. Well, thank you, Joshua. And uh, <laughs> tell people how we how they can learn more about you and your wife. Uh, you have a website. Is it? Sure. Jo- is it yeah, jo- it's just Josh- my name. <laughs> uh, yeah, Joshua yeah, Tongle. Joshua. Well, yeah, JoshuaTongle.com. And my wife also has, it's also Remy Tongle. Um, I think it's .com, and uh, you could just check out the YouTube channel. It's pretty much it's all there. Right. Yeah, we also have iTunes as well. So if you want more of like the full-on messages, it's on it's on iTunes. Great. But usually YouTube is pretty chopped up. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, to be honest with you, uh, Joshua, I think that you deserve a lot of applause, and I, I wish that we could give that to you tonight uh, in a major way. And I hope that people will start listening and I'm talking about those people who oppose you because simply listening to you tonight has convinced me once again that you have so much to put on the table that will radically change us towards something so meaningful and good and we thank you for coming our way and I hope that you will come back and be with us and uh, you're such a sure. wonderful person uh, love your <laughs> personality you. and and your message it's good it's good thank you thank, thank you, you so for much, being michael. on the show well honey sure. it's, it's been good uh joshua's <laughs> awesome yes michael fulford he's always awesome absolutely and uh so uh let's close out the show okay. we've had fun was you're gorgeous was a, oh my goodness my goodness that, gracious time to go time to go. Hey, we love you guys. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, what a tremendous show. Dr. Jones, I I thought we talked about this, uh, that uh, we weren't going to have somebody that was so kind and gentle and that we had so much in common with. When are we going to have somebody on that we can really have a nice fight with? When can we do that? I'm excited about that one. This has been great, though, guys. I hope you've had fun. This Wednesday uh, at, uh, at 7 o'clock, we'll be back with the Unconventional Pastor and Dr. Jones right afterwards, and then we'll do, be doing this all over again from 10 to 10 next Sunday. We hope you'll, you'll join us um, pretty soon, the, the next week or the week after that. Greg and I will be um, arguing over the existence of God. Won't that be amazing? And uh, you, you guys can all watch me win that debate. Um, and then, uh, and then that evening, Vince Laria is going to be with us, of course, with Dr. Jones and our guests, uh, painting in the background, and that's going to be amazing. So we'll see you then. And we love you.